Today is Sunday, May 29th, and welcome once again to another episode of Straight Out Left. We've got a lot of news to talk about today. Tommy Pham and Jock Pearson just recreated the Oscars in left field in Cincinnati this week. Plus, an update on the Josh Donaldson situation, as well as other situations around MLB. And finally, a bio about a player who was really good for one week and is also just a super nice guy. Stick around, it's going to be a good one today. All right, here we go. Sunday episode. I'm actually recording this uh, Saturday night, but I'm going to put it together on Sunday. But anyway, leading off with the most viral story from the MLB this past week, it's also the dumbest, but we're still going to talk about it because we're in a culture that loves dumb things. So I read, I saw an article a few days ago that read, or the title read something like, Tommy Reds outfielder Tommy Pham slaps Giants outfielder Jock Pearson, quote, Chris Rock, Will Smith style. And I did several double takes. was like, this cannot be real. But it is. So if you don't know what's going on, um, earlier this week, uh, the Reds and Giants were warming up before a game in Cincinnati. And Pearson wandered out into the outfield and encountered Pham. And then a little brief, very brief altercation ensued with Fam slapping Peterson in the face. Like, not like a punch, just like a Chris Rock kind of Will Smith. Just, yeah. And so people were like, what's going on? And then it emerged very quickly after it was about fantasy football. And every, I mean, at first, that first report, my saw was like, that's a joke. That's not what that's about. There's no way. It's not even fantasy football season. It's over. Um, but since then, both players have been interviewed and confirmed that, yeah, this is what the issue is. Apparently, Jock Peterson was doing something with how he managed the um, IR on his team. He was stashing injured players on the IR so he could pick up healthy players. Even though, according to FAM, since they weren't on the NFL team's injured reserve, they shouldn't be on his fantasy injured reserve, but it's completely legal. I mean, I play fantasy football. You can put guys who are just out for the game on your IR. It's just how it works. So Fam got all pissed about it, and he said that Jock's messing with he's. I'm not going to repeat exactly what he said. He's like basically he's messing with my money. He's messing with me. He's being disrespectful, and just normal things that kind of an agitator would say in this situation. So from the start, I don't feel like Tommy Fam has looked good, and then. Um, he Jock confirmed that yeah. Um, in their conversations about the issue, Peterson made some jokes about made just made some jokes and uh, Fam didn't like them. So here's a quote that was uh came from earlier today from Evan Wiebeck. Uh, I'm getting this off of a uh, John Boy Media has been following this very closely, so I've been following the controversy on Instagram. Instagram, even though I think this shouldn't really be a big deal, but so first tweet. Jock Pearson was waiting for us after the game with receipts from his group text exchange with Tommy Pham. He sent a gif of three weightlifters with the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres logos superimposed on them. The Padres guy collapsed under the weight of his dumbbell. Pearson read verbatim from the group chat, which include four other five, four to five other Padres players. So um, this is, I guess, just like a players league. It's not just specific to one team. It's just a bunch of MLB players playing fantasy football. Pham responded, Jock, I, know, I don't know you well enough to make any jokes like that. Pearson texted back, 
It was meant to be all fun and games, no hard feelings. Sorry if you took it that way. So when Peterson came out and said, you know, I made a joke about fam was mad. And I made this joke about the Padres because fam was playing for the Padres at that time. And he took it the wrong way. And I'm sorry. And then you could be like, oh, did he though? Like, this, is an- this is another just, oh, I was joking. But Jock literally apologized right after fam said that he w- didn't like the joke and said, I'm sorry, I'm- I was joking or I'm sorry you feel that way. I- I'll-, I'll stop. So I think it's pretty clear Peterson never did anything wrong here. Well, nothing that's worthy of this because he made made a joke and was kind of, you know, like, fam, chill out. I running my team the right way. And Tommy fam was all like, you're, you're taking money from me. And I'm like, what's the buy-in for this league? Like these guys are millionaires. How much money are we talking for fantasy football? And I don't like how suddenly it's just become acceptable to just slap people. Like if you want to fight someone, fight someone, but then just to go up and just give them a little slap in the face. It's just, to me, it's cowardly. I don't know. And immature more so. I mean, I think going up and fighting someone over fantasy football at all is immature. So, yeah, just immaturity, cowardice. And and I've talked about Tommy. This is the second time I've kind of blasted Tommy Pham on this show. I just the dude has a good has a great story. And he's been able to he's a good ball player. And I respect his talent. I respect what he's been through Um, on YouTube. The channel I talk studios made a video about him. Uh, back when he made those comments with the, about the Reds during spring training, saying that I'm kind, basically I'm in this to I'm playing this year for myself for my numbers. I don't care how the Reds do. I don't care about the team, basically, which isn't good. But I talked to you, made a video about Tommy Pham and his past, and you know he's come he's overcome a lot. He has an eye condition they struggled with. He didn't grow up in the be- didn't have the best uh most safe family environment growing up when he was a kid so he's come through a lot and he's been able to achieve quite a bit he's a talented ball player i just like i said in the previous episode where he was gonna fight luke voigt i'll say it again luke voigt a former padre by the way fam can't be going around agitating people like this and just running his mouth it doesn't matter how good he is or what he's been through um he just seems like a guy who tends to run his mouth when maybe he shouldn't. I mean, he was involved that stabbing incident. That wasn't just a random thing. He was involved in an altercation at a club in San Diego. And that resulted in him getting stabbed. So I'm not saying that it was his fault, but you know, he tends to get in the middle of tense confrontational situations. He's just, he must be, I know people like this. There's confrontational and that's fine. You just have to know how to channel it and control it. And if you're going around slapping people over fantasy football and running your mouth about how you know your team sucks and you just want to play for your numbers, well, it's a fair it's a fair way to feel. I think for the sake of team cohesion, you shouldn't go around saying that to the media and then accusing players of dirty plays when there really isn't anything. The comments on uh, the Instagram post that John Boy's putting out are hilarious. Uh, one guy said, in conclusion, fam is Charmin ultra soft. Um, fam is like the ultimate killjoy. You get to play baseball for a living. Get over it. So, yeah, I think it's pretty clear at this point that fam's in the wrong. So he needs to come out and apologize. And you want to talk, I mean, and these are two, this isn't 
if you want to talk about like the respect and the hierarchy here too, because Fam is saying he, Jock's disrespecting him. He's he's a, well, he's kind of bush league and whatever. Peterson's won two world titles and is an October hero and a very successful ball player in his own right. Um, so I wouldn't go around saying acting like you're the better person here because Pearson honestly has the more accolades to his name. That doesn't mean that Fam's any less worthy of a player. He's a he's a very talented player. I just yeah, I really should just stop rambling about this. But yeah, it's just I think most people feel this way, but I feel especially Fam needs to admit he's in the wrong here and. This should not. I hope this does not become a common thing where players are just. I mean, players are attacking each other, and you could say, "Oh, it's good for the sport. It gives it gives the sport attention." I don't want baseball to get attention for this. I want to get baseball attention for baseball. You know, we're trying to compete with the theatrics of the NBA and the NFL. Maybe we should just focus on having a better on-field product, and maybe stop making this all about. Oh, we're making the game fun because we go around we flip bats and we and we yell very degrading things at the pitcher and we call we call each other Jackie or whatever or we slap people that's not why baseball should be getting attention baseball should be getting attention for talented players on the field so I'm all for letting the kids play but this is definitely crossing a line where it's turning into let's be immature and let's be like kids and be juvenile and be stupid so this kind of needs to stop and now moving on to other news around the MLB. Um, just, this just recently broke. Uh, the Chicago White Sox have designated starter Dallas Keuchel for assignment. Now, Keuchel has, you know, he had the amazing 2020 in his first year at the White Sox. And the shortened season, he made 11 starts and had an area of 1.99. But then last year, his area ballooned up to 5.25, his no, 5.28, sorry. His whip shot up really high. His uh, strikeout rates w- was the lowest it had ever been. And then this year, things had not gotten any better. He had an area of 7.88, and he had walked just as many bears as he had struck out. So the walks were high. He was getting hit around a lot. And the thing was, the White Sox have had a lot of injuries to the rotation this year. So they will keep any arm that they have that they think is valuable can provide some value so it's obvious at this point that they've just moved on from Keiko and decide okay he's not he doesn't provide any value to us at all in any capacity which is really disappointing because I know I I like Dallas Keiko he's fun to watch when he's good but just yeah he hasn't been performing at all like coming anywhere close to it and yeah the, the damage has been done and the White Sox have just decided to move on. So we'll see what happens if he clears waivers or not. I mean, the amount of money that he's making this year could be a kind of phase some teams from uh, claiming him. But, you know, at the other hand, if you are a team that needs a quality starter and you're hoping you can get Dallas Keuchel of 2020 or something anywhere close to that, he could really help you guys out. But yeah, this year he is making, where is the, $18 million. He's making $18 million this year. So <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to find a way to foot that bill. Or the White Sox, if they work out some sort of trade, the White Sox are probably going to have to eat a lot of that. But yeah, 
Um, and then another player that has been kind of at the top of people's underachieving list for a few years now, but is getting a another shot is Matt Carpenter on the New York Yankees. So we all know the story. Carpenter wants an all-star and MVP candidate in St. Louis as recently as 2018 had three very, very terrible years. And he had, he'd been cut from the Cardinals and then he played with Texas this spring, then the minor league in their minor league affiliate. And eventually he requested uh, to be released because he hadn't been called up to the majors yet. And he was doing really well, but they just didn't have room for him at a first base. Cause that's kind of the main position he's been playing now, I guess, or just in the infill in general. But so the Yankees decided to bring him in and not only bring him in, they have immediately called him up and put him into their starting lineup. And I mean, so far he only has one hit in five at bats, but it's a home run. So he's hit a home run. All right. He's walked a couple of times as well. So he's sitting at a nice 500 on base percentage and a 1300 OPS. Now, granted, of course, this is two games, so very small sample size. But yeah, I mean, the Yankees are going to look like geniuses if suddenly Carpenter returns to 2018 form, which I mean, that's kind of far removed and he's 36 now. So he's definitely getting up there, but Hey, if he can provide some value off the bench and his mustache looks really, really good. So, yeah, and I've always been, I've always liked Matt Carpenter, so I'm happy to see him get another shot. Maybe kind of, you know, have a decent year in New York and kind of get the uh, bad taste of his last few years in St. Louis out of his mouth and kind of end on his own terms more so. That'd be kind of nice for him, I think. to the last part of today's episode uh, this is a newer bit that i'm doing i'm taking a page out of the book of one of my favorite baseball youtubers jolly olive he does these random player bios and they're not super random i mean he talks about really good players like he just made a video about hanley ramirez for example but i'm going somewhere truly random with this i'm going to talk to you about a player named adam heisdu how I found this guy and why I decided I want to talk about him, I really can't tell you. All I know is I saw his name on the 2004 Boston Red Sox roster, and I was like, huh, who's this guy? What? How did he contribute? And there's actually a really cool story behind him. So here's uh, here's that. Um, before I start, I want my two sources I want to give credit to is uh, MLB.com article where written by Adam Barry, former Pittsburgh Pirates uh, beat writer talking about it's an interview with him and tells his story. And then also the baseball reference uh, wiki page about Adam Heist too, which is kind of his little bio based on info that uh, sports reference has been able to gather. So those two are where I got most of the de- pretty much all the details for this uh, segment. Anyway, Adam Heist was drafted with the 15th overall pick in the 1990 draft by the San Francisco giants. So there's a lot of expectations surrounding him, but for 10 years, he labored in the Myers and could never make the big leagues. He uh, bounced around from San Francisco to the Cincinnati, Boston, Arizona w- systems with a brief pit stop in the Mexican league, and then eventually returned to the Boston Red Sox minor league system in 1999. He definitely had some years where he struggled, especially early on, but later on in his minor league career, he was actually hitting pretty well, especially for the Red Sox and Diamondback system. 
He just could never find a way to push through and get to the majors. And at this point in his career, things were looking kind of kind of bleak. He wasn't sure if he was ever going to be able to make it. He was coming close, but just never close enough. That worry was amplified in 1999 when he was cut from the Pawtucket Red Sox, the AAA affiliate of Boston. And he decided to pack up and head back to Cincinnati, where his family was living, and just, you know, get settled back in there and regroup and figure out what he was supposed to do next. On his way back, making that drive from Pawtucket to Cincinnati, he gets a phone call from Pittsburgh Pirates general manager Cam Bonifay. And what Cam Bonifay basically told him was that the Pittsburgh Pirates had just created, or not created, they had adopted a new double-A affiliate in Altoona, Pennsylvania, the Altoona Curve. And they wanted Heisdu on their team. Some context here, while Heisdu's on-field performance was maybe not as good as it could have been, uh, minor league Minor league insiders and coaches and teammates always vouched for his character. He was a strong leader. He was a good person, um, great locker room influence. And so that part of his uh, uh, character was never, his character was never brought into question. He was always seen as a very positive, very uh, good person. So, and how Heizu describes it, the conversation in his interview is he says, Cam, quote, Cam Bonifay called and said, hey, we've got a job for you in double A. We've got some guys here that are kind of head cases and running amok, and you've got a great reputation. Would you mind going there? End quote. So Heisdu was like, yeah, I'm driving through the area right now. So he met up with uh, Bonifay in person, and yeah, he'd agreed to join Altoona and kind of be that leader. According to him, when he popped into the clubhouse for the first time, uh, right away, it says he had the regular a regular role in the trust of his coaches. The uh, manager of the team, Marty Brown, told him, "Whatever you say goes." So he was basically the second manager, and he was in charge of whipping all these players into shape and keeping the wilder elements under control, which he did. And he had an amazing season uh, on the field as well, too. He uh, he made the All Star team for the uh, league. And Altoona's first season as the Pirates affiliate was a huge hit. And then in 2000, he was brought back to Altoona, still in double A. But he also had an amazing season there as well. He hit 290 with um, 31 home runs and uh, 954 uh, on OPS. And at the end of the year, an appreciation for his um, just his impact on the team all that he had done, the on-field performance, the off-field locker room work, and the just the impact he was having with the fans. Fans in Pittsburgh and in Altoona absolutely love this guy. He had a huge cult following. The uh, curve decided to retire his number minutes after the final game of the season. And according to Heisdu, it was a tremendous honor, and he was just super excited. And then, yeah, he according to one... Uh, one uh, Altoona executive, he said, quote, he really became the face of the team very early on, end quote. He's also been called the greatest curve player to ever live. And then, so that ended in 2000, and so he had had a great run in Altoona, but then things got even better for him very shortly after. After the season was over, 
he was having dinner with his wife when Cam Bonafé called him and told him that the Pirates were calling you up to uh, Pittsburgh. You're coming to the big leagues finally. And he was ecstatic. He said it was an euphoric feeling. And after a decade of hard work and perseverance, it finally paid off. He made two starts in September. He got his first hit against uh, the Reds. And he remembers that Sean Casey greeted him at first base and said, that's a great feeling, isn't it? He also hit his first home run that season, too. And for the next couple of years, Heisdu kept bouncing around between the minors and the majors with the Pirates. He showed a lot of pop, but a low on base percentage and a tendency to strike out a lot. He hit five home runs and only uh, 77 plate appearances in his second season with the Pirates in 2001. And in 2002, he was called up again. He started the season in the minors and got called up in July. But for one week, he randomly put everything together and had a week where he played out of his mind. So he got called up on July 2nd and hit a home run in his first game up, which was a pinch hit at pinch hit home run. And then starting on July 15th, he won an absolute tear and he wound up winning NL player of the week awards for that week in the middle of July, 2002. During that span, he hit 588 with three home runs and 11 RBIs. And yeah, it was just the culmination suddenly of not only was he getting a shot on the majors, he was getting a shot to play consistently and he was performing. Now, of course, he wasn't really able to keep it going for the rest of the year. While the pop remained, he finished the year with 11 home runs. The uh, uh, average definitely dipped a little bit. And he, uh, after getting his batting average as high as uh, four, 13 by the end of the week it dropped down to 232 by the end of the year but he stayed in pittsburgh for pretty much the rest of the season and they spent one more year kind of being a fringe player for the pirates and then he was finally let go and sent to boston once again and this time with boston he was able to finally get some playing time with the red sox he played 17 games in 2004 and hit a home run so he contributed in a very small way to the uh, Red Sox uh, eventual world title. He didn't make the postseason roster, but he does have a ring. So that's something else that he probably would not have been able to imagine back, uh, turn the clock back about five years, that he would, he would be getting a ring from a World Series team. In 2005, he bounced between the Padres and the Red Sox again. He kept coming back to Boston. And he did get one playoff appearance in the 2005 ALDS as a as a defensive replacement late in the game. And in 2006, he played a couple games with the Rangers and then went to Japan and wound up calling it quits shortly after. So, yeah, not the most exciting way to end his career, but looking back on it all, I just think this is a really cool story about a player who maybe, you know, was had a lot of expectations and didn't deliver on them for a long time and spent a very long time toiling in the Myers, which, as most baseball fans know, is not an easy thing to do. And I'm sure at many points he was ready to give up and he seemed like he was ready to give up after he got cut in 99, but then out of nowhere, his um, character and his work ethic and his leadership earned him another spot in this unique opportunity with the pirates and to be embraced by Altoona the way that he was, must've felt really good. And then to get a chance to play in the major leagues and then let alone for one week to be honored as the best player in the national league is pretty incredible. So looking back on it, it seems like that he doesn't really have any regrets. 
Um, it says in the article, Hi, quote, Heizu loved his time in Pittsburgh, saying now he wishes he would have stayed another 10 years. End quote. Um, and then the article talks about how he got his World Series ring. And the last section of the article talks about what he's been doing now. Uh, in 2010, he took over ownership of the his father-in-law's RV business in uh, Mesa, Arizona. And he runs that now. He's always been you know, seen as a very good businessman and a very um, well-respected member of the community. He travels to see pirates and curve games in Pennsylvania when he can. Uh, people still, apparently his legend still is a thing. People still talk about him to this day in, uh, in uh, Altoona. And yeah, his number 16 is still retired by the team. And he also credits his, uh, his wife and his faith for his um, being able to persevere. He said that, you know, he's, he's a Christian. He participates a lot in his uh, church and yeah, just, just that kind of seems to carry out to um, how he treated other people, which was always awesome. And he says that his wife did an amazing job sticking with him and raising, helping him raise their three kids while he was struggling in the minors. Apparently he, uh, bought like a RV and he and the family just lived in that. And his wife would homeschool the kids while he played baseball. So it's just a very kind of heartwarming, warming story when you look at it. So yeah, that's the uh, story of Adam Heisdu, the greatest Altoona curve player to ever live. And one time NL player of the week and 2004 Boston Red Sox world series champion. All right, and that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, guys. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and many other podcasting platforms. Make sure you give it a five-star review or follow it or do whatever you got to do to make sure it shows up in your feed so you can see when new episodes come up. I'm working on getting a regular um, upload schedule ironed out. I'm thinking of doing like a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday because I think that works best with just my work schedule and some of the other things I got going on right now. I'm just trying to get, you know, my first job ironed out and everything. But anyway, yeah, so hoping to get that consistently locked down. Also, I have another little project uh, that's kind of different from regularly scheduled programming that I'm putting together for you guys. So uh, be on the lookout for that. It's not anywhere close to being done yet, but in the near future, I'm hoping to get that out. Um, kind of something a little different that i hope you guys will enjoy also you can follow the podcast's instagram page uh straight out of left dot pod um just search that and you should be able to find it and that's a great way to get a hold of me and just uh interact and stuff so yeah thank you once again for listening i'll talk to you all again soon